We are looking today at the letter of Philemon. Now, it's a very tiny letter in the Bible. If you flick through your Bibles, you'll probably miss it. It comes just before Hebrews, but it's absolutely beautiful. And I thought, you know what, in order for us to hear the letter of Philemon, we could just read it as we normally do, or we could actually hear uh, how it would have worked just to have an insight into uh, life at the time. And so we're delighted to say that the Apostle Paul is actually here uh, to write the letter in front of us, to show us how he wrote the letter. So can you welcome the Apostle Paul for the day? Let's hear what he has to say. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Apphia, our sister and our keepers, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. (sighs) Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who also became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a while was that you might have him back Forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you 
in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, perhaps a guest room for me. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer of your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, send you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, and Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. So I don't know whether, whether that was a familiar letter to you from Paul, but it's one I absolutely love. It's so beautifully written. And whatever you say about Paul, whatever you think about Paul, uh, sometimes you can read Paul and find his letters maybe a little bit confusing or complicated. Some people have described him as being a bit haughty in some ways, in the way that he's kind of seems like he's better than other people. But one thing you cannot argue about Paul is he really knows how to build someone up. He really knows how to encourage somebody and bring the best out of them. The way that he describes Philemon is absolutely beautiful. I mean, imagine receiving a letter that describes you as being someone whose faith encourages someone else, that you're somebody who he loves deeply, that he cares for, that you inspire him in the gospel, and he's heard about your faith. It would be so beautiful to receive a letter like that, wouldn't it? I mean, it's just so lovely written. And then how he speaks about Onesimus later, which we'll come to in a bit. But it's such a beautifully written personal letter from one brother in Christ to another. uh, But just displaying incredible love and kindness and generosity towards Philemon. And so uh, we have this beautiful letter written by Paul to Philemon, drawing out the beautifulness. And actually what Paul is doing by that encouragement is he is uh, speaking into Philemon's very identity because the name Philemon literally translates as man of kindness. And that's what Paul is, is doing here. He's calling out this beautiful man of kindness, but he doesn't do so by ignoring Philemon's flaws. He doesn't in any way suggest that Philemon is perfect and have it all sorted. Paul is quite happy and quite willing to acknowledge and to recognize the difficult past that Philemon has with the other character in the story, Onesimus. It's an unusual name, we don't hear it. Let's all say Onesimus. Onesimus. Don't know if that's how you actually pronounce it, but that's how I'm doing it anyway. Uh, So anyway, uh, there he is. Paul is writing to Philemon about Onesimus and this difficult past and this difficult history that the two of them have. So Philemon is thought to have been probably a Roman uh, who came to faith in Jesus Christ, uh, had wealth, had a home that was uh, big enough and ample enough to host a church family in, and so he did that. And by being a wealthy homeowner, he had slaves as well. And it's widely thought, widely recognized that Onesimus was one of those slaves who in some way wronged him. 
in some way did something to Philemon. Uh, Most people think he probably stole from him or cheated him in some way. That may well very be the reason that Onesimus is in prison, or it may be that he's committed something else a little bit later, uh, or is, is maybe just there to just try and meet Paul. We don't really know the circumstances of him being in prison, but somehow Paul and Onesimus have crossed paths, and Paul is writing to Philemon asking something very bold and very big. This is a huge ask of Paul. Because what he's doing is he's saying to Philemon, Onesimus, the, the guy who wronged you, I want you to welcome him back, not only as a slave or not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. This is a huge, huge ask that Paul is making, which is why he does it as this beautiful request rather than telling him Philemon what to do. Now, it's thought that this is the only letter that Paul writes that uh, doesn't outlay the gospel in some really clear way. And the reason for that is because he's asking, he's writing to Philemon, asking him to model the good news of Jesus, to model what difference Jesus makes to your life. What he's asking for in Philemon is for him to live out his faith authentically. As Rick was saying last week, what he's asking of Philemon is to be the same person in private as he is in front of 60 people. He's asking for authenticity in Philemon. Live out the gospel that Jesus has done for you. Paul himself is doing that as well. Uh, In in when he says, if if Onesimus has wronged you in any way, I take the payment on myself. What does that sound like to you? That sounds very much like Jesus to me. If he's wronged you, I will pay his debt. I will repay you on his behalf. And so Paul is basically giving this beautiful example of what it means to live authentically as a follower of Jesus, to be genuine, to worship in spirit and in truth, to be the real you that you were called to be in front of and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. The trouble is that to live authentically requires vulnerability, which is a hard thing, because to be vulnerable requires bravery. A lot of people think that vulnerability is a sign of weakness. It's not. It's a sign of absolute strength, because you have to be really brave to be vulnerable with somebody else. And in order for there to be bravery, there needs to be a community in which you feel safe enough to be brave, a community that's free of judgment, which we'll come to in a moment. I wonder if I was to ask you to stand up if there was something you're struggling with in your life that people here don't know about, how many of you would, you would stand? The reality is all of us probably should stand because it's probably true of all of us. That we're all struggling with something that people here don't know about. Struggling in the secret place may be shared with one or two individuals. But vulnerability is something really important for us as a church community. And we have seen it modelled beautifully over the past few weeks in what some people have shared and the way in which they've shared it. But the reality about vulnerability, and I found this quote this week which I thought was amazingly powerful. Vulnerability is the first thing we look for in others. 
and the last thing we want to show them of ourselves. Vulnerability is the first thing we look for in others and the last thing we want to show them of ourselves. And that's because vulnerability isn't a case of hanging all your washing on the line for everybody to see all the time and bearing your soul to everybody even if they don't ask for it. Vulnerability is about sharing your true self with those who've earned the right to see it. Sharing your true self with those who have earned the right to see it. And what my hope and my prayer and my desire for the church, church with a capital C and church here, is that we become a place that strives for that right. That right to see people for who they are because this is a place of love and trust and respect and honour and authenticity and honesty. As that is going to happen, it needs to be a place free of judgment as well. To slightly uh, amend a quote from Billy Graham, uh, where he makes it personal, but I'm going to make it applicable to the church, because I think it's also true. Uh, Billy Graham once said, Is it the Holy Spirit's job to convict? It is God's job to judge. It is the church's job to love. That's our job is to love. And when we love well, we accept others well, as Paul did with Onesimus. You see, what Paul did by spending time with Onesimus, by listening to his story, by hearing from him, by seeing the person behind the slave, Paul was able to build such a relationship with Onesimus that Onesimus clearly trusted Paul enough to share everything with him, to share the difficult experiences of Philemon, to maybe experience it as share his grief of what he happened, maybe his remorse if he was showing remorse. And Paul then beautifully disciples Onesimus to the point at which he calls him one of his very own, a beloved, the one I love. He even describes them as being part of him. That's how close their relationship becomes. And that would not have happened without vulnerability, without genuine honesty between the two of them. And no doubt Paul shared some of his heart and some of who he was with Onesimus as well. Paul even did that with people he wrote to. He talked about how hard his struggle with life was at times. Yes, he did seem at certain times to have it all together, but you also see beautiful moments of vulnerability with Paul as well. You also see it in Jesus. Think, for example, the Garden of Gethsemane. Either some disciples witnessed that happening or Jesus told them what happened afterwards. Either way, he was extremely vulnerable with those around him and with his father. And so you have this beautiful scene here where Philemon is expected by Paul or asked by Paul to receive Onesimus back. And it's a big, big ask and requires Philemon to be vulnerable as well. To admit that part of him that didn't act perhaps in the way he could have done when Onesimus wronged him. Because clearly when Onesimus wronged him, he didn't react with forgiveness and grace and mercy and love and acceptance. He sent him away. He sent him away from him. And I think Paul is writing to Philemon asking for something very important and what he asks for in this act of grace in this act of mercy in this act of love towards Onesimus he's using the term partnership 
He's wanting to partner with God. He's wanting Philemon to partner with God. The word he uses is the Greek word koinonia. And the best description of that is recognizing that all of Jesus' followers, every single one of us, is an equal partner who share in the gift of God's grace and love. Every single one of us is an equal partner who shares in God's grace and God's love. Every single one of us. In other words, as I heard um, Bishop Richard, uh, who was the Bishop of Lewis, once say, the cross is a level playing field where all come and all receive God's grace, mercy and forgiveness. And we are together one. That's why uh, with our vision this year, we're not just saying, oh, here's the vision of the church, let's all jump in. We're asking individuals, what do you carry? What matters to you? What's important to you? What do you care about most? Because we think that every voice needs to be heard in this church for us to move forward together. We don't want a vision where we say, oh, well, if you don't sign up to this vision or you don't measure up, you're not welcome here. We want this to be a place where all know they can come as they truly are and know that they will be loved here well. Because everyone here is honoured and valued and accepted and welcomed as they are. Not as they could be, not as they should be, but as they are. Every single one of us, because that's what Jesus has done for us. I've always felt and long believed that the one place on this earth we should be able to come and be our true selves is church. If there's one place we should be able to be the true version of ourselves with no masks, no falsity, no falsehood, it should be here, shouldn't it? A place that should be free of judgment from other people for how we live our lives, the wrongs we've done, the mistakes we've made. If there's one place we should be able to come as we truly are, masks off, it should be here. I want to put it in uh, wiser words that Lynn's uh, once wrote. She said this, I want to be part of a church that welcomes people however they walk through the door, whatever they carry with them. I want people to feel that they can forget the mask of okayness and crawl through the door on their knees if needs be, saying, I made it. That's genuine community. Where you can come as you really are. That doesn't mean, as I said, bearing your soul to everybody here. But it means that when you're asked how you are, the response doesn't have to be, I'm fine, thanks. Now, sometimes that response is appropriate because either it's not right to share in that moment or we feel we can't share with that person at that time. But often the reason we give that response is because we think the person asking us doesn't want the actual answer. But I want this to be a place, the church of the capital C, to be a place where we strive to earn that right to see people for who they really are, with their flaws and failings as we sung about. Because that's what Jesus has done for us. Jesus knows everything about you, your past, your failings, your failures, your hopes, your dreams, your visions, 
the things you carry, the things that matter to you, the things that don't matter to you, the ways in which you wish could be a better version of yourself. He sees it all and loves you still. And as he said, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples, by how you love one another. And if we're going to do that, we need to love one another authentically, free of judgment and shame of any kind. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It is God's job to judge. It is our job to love and to love well. That's the call of Jesus. So that this can be a place where people can genuinely come as their authentic selves and worship in spirit and in truth without fear of judgment from their brothers and sisters around them. I don't in any way hear any judgment in Paul's words towards Philemon. He lays it out as it really is. He tells the truth. But I don't read judgment in there. I read an invitation to live authentically out, live the gospel authentically, the way that Jesus has called us to live it. And when you do that, when you accept Onesimus back as a brother and a friend, just think what that would say to the world. Because I guarantee no normal slave owner would do that. But a person whose life has been transformed by Jesus would. Because transformed people transform the people around them. And the way we show that our lives have been transformed is in how we love one another. Authentically, genuinely, vulnerably, honestly, openly, so that this can become a place where masks are left at the door and we know we're welcomed as we are by one another, but primarily by our Father. That's our desire. That's the authentic new humanity that Jesus came to bring in us. And so I, with Linz, want to be part of a church that welcomes people however they walk through the door. Whatever they carry with them, I want people to feel that they can forget the mask of okayness and crawl through the door on their knees saying, I made it. And in order to do that, I want to be a Philemon, a man of kindness. May we all seek that for ourselves today. Amen.